Good afternoon. It's Tuesday, 12.15. Time for another Lunch and Learn session. Let's start with a bracha. Baruch atah adinoi. Eloheinu melech o'elam sha'akol niyah bidvari. Hello, good afternoon, Jody. I just sent out the email with the source sheet. Sorry, I was a bit delayed, but we're ready now to begin. Um, just sent it out. We can have you. Ha you should have the source sheet in your email, or I put a link here to the source sheet, and we're gonna get ready to begin. Hi, Jody and Roy. Hi, Gail. <clears throat> another session, another week. And it's time to study Torah together. Always an exciting part of the week, an exciting hour. Today's topic is um, fascinating. It's always great to study together, but um, the topic today is somewhat unfamiliar to many. A little obscure, a little um, adventurous. The topic today is the resurrection. What's known in Hebrew as Techiyat. Hamesim, the resurrection of the dead. Yes, you came to the right class. This is a rabbi and this is a Jewish class. And we're going to learn about this from a Jewish perspective. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to take a moment to share this so others can join in. As you always say, these are words of Torah. And the more that can have access to the words of Torah, the better. So I invite you to do the same. I'm just going to share this so others can participate as well. So again, we, get it, we can uh, get your source sheet ready. You can download it from the link here or if you're on my email list or if you would like to get onto my email list, you can uh, send me your email. I'll be glad to add you to the list. Um, here, let's share this here. Okay, <clears throat> imagine getting to see your, I'll give me one second here, I'm just getting ready, share, okay, you're now ready to begin, uh, so one more second. Okay, imagine you get to see your loved ones that passed. If somebody's father or mother passed away, perhaps a child, a brother or sister, grandparents, imagine getting a chance to see them, to interact with them in a physical way, to feel their bodies, to talk to them face to face. We know that their souls continue to exist. But imagine a time when we can actually um, get to know them, perhaps a grandparent that we have never met or a great-grandparent or someone someone great, perhaps um, Moses and Aaron and King David and some of the great leaders seeing our Rebbe, if we have never met him or someone that we miss, there is such a concept, there is such a, a, an idea, there will come a time that we will have the ability to see these people up front and uh, in a physical body while we're alive and they're alive physically. So this topic, today's topic is the resurrection of the dead. Techias Hamesim, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, as I mentioned, it's not a very familiar topic to many, even amongst uh, you know learned Jews. The, um, 
this is not a topic that is uh, learned um, enough, even though, there, as we will see, there is lots in Torah literature on this topic. <clears throat> not so, it's not just something about the future, as we always do the weekly, the living Torah. The Torah is not just something about the past, not just something about the future, it's about the present. And we're going to try to uh, learn a lesson from this interesting topic, how it applies to us nowadays, even before this special and great era um, comes, comes about. And this is a Jewish topic, even though resurrection may be associated by some with other religions. This is a very Jewish topic, and this is going to be uh, exciting. So here we go, we're on a 60-minute or so uh, journey through this topic. The topic of Techias HaMesim, Hi Jack, Hi Amy, Hi all that joined. The topic of the resurrection of the dead, looking at this from a Jewish perspective. And the class is divided into four sections as we usually do to make things easier to follow. The first section is the belief. What is, what is this, the resurrection? What are we believing in? Number two, what is the plan? How this is going to come about? Some of the details. Number three, why this is going to happen? And finally, number four, some, some applications, how this applies to us um, in Jewish law as well as some powerful lessons. Okay, I hope you have your source sheet ready by now. Apologize for sending it out a little bit late. <clears throat> I guess easiest is if you, if you print it out and you can follow along. Hopefully by now you have it in front of you. And let's jump right in. If you hear me, I'm in a different location. So if you can hear me clearly and it's not getting chopped up, if you can just say um, yes or hello and you respond. Uh, in the comments, and we can get some interaction. I can uh, feel that everyone is with me. We're united and studying the same Torah topic together. <clears throat> so, thank you. <clears throat> about a thousand years ago, or over about 900 years ago or so, lived a man named Moshe. Not the first Moses. This is Moshe, Moses, the son of Maimon, who became famously known as Maimonides, the Rambam. And the Rambam wrote prolifically, and one of the probably one of the most famous Jewish te teachers in all of time. Hi, hi, Barbara. Welcome. We're just getting started. Uh, I apologize for sending it late. You should have the source sheet. You can download it or in your email. There's a link here you can download. We're just about getting ready. Today's topic is the resurrection of the dead. So we're talking about about nine, eight, eight, nine, nine hundred years ago lived a man named the Rambam Maimonides who formulated 13 principles of our faith. You know, we have in the Torah 613 commandments, so many details, so many customs, so many rituals, so many, so many parts of the Torah. But the Rambam puts them into 13 principles. Principles means that these are fundamental beliefs that things, the rest of the Torah depends on them. If you're lacking one of these fundamental beliefs, what's known as the Yud Gimel Ikrim, the 13 principles of faith. We're going to talk about the last one. Let's take a look at source number one. 
Many have the custom. Hi, uh, Julie or Alex for joining. We're ready to start our first source. Many have the custom to actually say these 13 principles of faith every morning after the morning prayers. It's not our custom, in, in, uh, but many do have this custom. It's printed in many prayer books. They're nonetheless uh, important and undisputed that these are the principles of faith. We're going to talk about the 13th principle. Here we go. Source number one. I believe with perfect faith that the dead will be brought back to life when God wills it to happen. Concerning this, there has never been heard any disagreement in our nation, not, nor does it have any allegorical interpretation other than its literal meaning. Okay, so the last of the 13 principles of faith, you know, we believe in God, we believe in this, we believe in the Torah, the truth of the Torah. The 13th principle of faith is to believe in perfect faith that the dead will be brought back to life when God wills it to happen. Not just that God has the ability to resurrect the dead, but when God decides it is time for the resurrection to take place, it will take place. There will come a time when it will be God's will that that is the ripe moment for the dead, all dead, to be brought back to life. And Maimonides goes on to say this is undisputed. There has never been any disagreement about this. Now, I just want to mention, to clarify, there were some that uh, debated the number 13 and said that they should be uh, the, the, they should be a little bit um, put into less numbers, but the, this is definitely um, a, a, a undisputed fact of Jewish teachings that there will be a resurrection of the dead in the future. What does this mean, the resurrection of the dead? Just to clarify. So we believe our souls are existent independently from our bodies. Our ex soul exists. All souls exist before they come down to this world. So let's say they exist in heaven or in a spiritual way. The souls exist before. For a time, the soul comes down to this world and is enclosed and united with a body. It lives its life together with the body for a certain amount of years. And then they part ways. The body goes to the ground and the soul goes back to heaven. And we are believing here in the 13th principle of faith that there will come a time that all of those souls that were once enclosed in a body will come back to their bodies in the future. Their bodies will be resurrected. Their bodies will be um, rebuilt, reconstituted. And the soul will once again descend into their, into their body. That is the belief. The belief that this will take place of course, this is associated with the times of Mashiach, the times of our redemption, when, the, when Mashiach will come. And we can have another class dedicated to explain you more. The, the era, we did once have a class uh, towards the beginning of our Lunch and Learn series about the era of Mashiach and so on. Today we're focusing on this specific um, belief, the resurrection. Okay, so now that we know what we're talking about, we're talking about the belief that the body will be rebuilt after being in the ground. Sometimes, if it's over many, oh, many years, the body can uh, disintegrate. 
the body will be rebuilt and the soul will come back to its body and live once again just as it did before. This is not just something that is the principle of our faith found in Maimonides, it is actually something that we all say at least three times a day in our daily prayers. Source number two is a, the second blessing of the Shmona Esrei. So, hi Igor, nice to see you. The Shmona Esrei is the, is the Amida prayer, the, high, the climax sort of of our daily prayers, the morning, afternoon, and evening prayers when we stand up and we put our feet together and we, and we pray quietly. And every single day of the year, whether it's weekday, Shabbos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Pesach, every single day, uh, the beginning of the Shmona Esrei begins the same. During the week, the middle is different than Shabbos and holidays, but the first three blessings are the same, as well as the last three. And we're going to look at the second blessing, which is all about the belief, praising God, who will resurrect the dead in the future. Let's take a look at uh, some wording here. Source number two, you resurrect the dead. We're talking face-to-face to God, right? We're talking when we're saying, you resurrect the dead. He resurrects the dead with great mercy. You are trustworthy to revive the dead. Blessed are you, the Lord, who revives the dead. We're praising God for the resurrection. It is something not just that we believe in, that Maimonides told us. It is something that we say many times a day. And it's not just uh, in the Shemona, or other times during our prayers, we mention this. God is praised as the one who will resurrect the dead in the future. This is a fundamental belief and idea that is mentioned in our prayers. So where does this come from? It is mentioned in our prayers, but where is the source? As we always do, we try to look at the origins of the different beliefs and different mitzvahs. Let's take a look first at some of the books of the prophets. As we mentioned, the Torah is split into three parts. We have the five books of Moses, then we have the books of the prophets, then we have the books of scriptures. So one of the books of scriptures is the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, who was a prophet about uh, 2,500 years ago. Daniel, the famous story of Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den. Okay, so Daniel is a prophet. A prophet means that at that time, just as Moses communicated with God, gave over God's message to the Jewish people for the thousand years or so post-Moses, they were prophets in every generation, many prophets, and they would have a spiritual, a divine kind of revelation that they were instructed to give over to the Jewish people different messages. So Moses and then Joshua and then throughout the generations. Daniel was one of the later prophets, and Daniel gives over to the Jewish people a prophecy from God, Source 3, which is, by the way, another one of the principles of faith to believe in prophecy. Otherwise, how do we know what God uh, wants from us? Yes, we all witness the Ten Commandments, but Torah is not just ten. Torah has much more, and that was taught to us by Moses. So by clearly um, witnessing, of course, how God called to Moses to come up to the mountain, that sort of set the stage that whatever Moses tells us, is true from God, and in the Torah it says that in every generation there, there will be a prophet who God will communicate to the Jewish people uh, through. So source number three is a quote from Daniel. Actually, first comes a quote from Isaiah, another prophet. Your dead shall be revived. Your, my corpses shall arise. Awaken and sing, you who dwell in the dust. 
Many of them that sleep in the land of dust shall awake. These are just two samples. And many times throughout the books of the prophets, different prophecies, the, the Jewish people are told of a time when there will be a resurrection. This is after the first temple was destroyed and Jewish people are being told that there will come a time that they will all return to Israel and part of that process, the time of Mashiach, will include all of the dead being resurrected. So that's clearly, very clear, spelled out in the books of the prophets. But it's also alluded to, in the actual Torah of the five books of Moses, many places. The Talmud has a whole a section in Tractate Sanhedrin, uh, I think it's the 11th chapter, known as Hachelech. And there it discusses a lot uh, the, the era of Mashiach, the era of redemption, and specifically uh, about the resurrection of the dead, Techias HaMesim. And goes on asking questions, where is the source, where is the source, and bringing different places where the Torah and even the five books of Moses, it, it is alluded to. Let's take a look at one of these places where the Torah alludes to, and it's something that we say at least twice a day, uh, or we should say at least twice a day, in the Shema prayer. Okay, I just want to, if you can just say yes once again. just want to make sure this is working. Thank you, Jody. I see here. And Igor, thank you. Hi, Ellen. Oops. Um, if you have any comments or questions, of course, you can put it in the comments. We'll have later time uh, for questions. I apologize. Last week, I was in a bit of a rush at the end. Today, we'll have more time. Okay, thank you. So it's actually alluded to. So we say every day in our Shema prayers, we say Shema Yisrael. And towards the end, we have the first paragraph, there's a second paragraph. And towards the end of the second paragraph, Hashem says that actually we, uh, we mentioned it a little bit last week when we spoke about mezuzah, that God promises a reward for, for mezuzah and for the rest of the mitzvahs. And it says there that these rewards will be given to the Jewish people when you come into the land of Israel. Source number four, in the land that God swore to your fathers to give to them. Hi, Barbara. Thank you. So God is telling the Jewish people, picture this. The Jewish people are in the desert, okay? And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're no longer living. They're buried. They're in their graves for many hundreds of years. And Moshe, God is telling Moshe to tell the Jewish people that they will be rewarded where? In the land that God swore to your fathers to give to them. To give to them, to your fathers. Their fathers weren't alive at this time. This is referring to our forefathers or even their fathers weren't alive. Talking to them saying, God, prom God swore to your fathers to give to them. Who's them? God promised the fathers to give them the land. They're in the graves already. They're not benefiting from the land of Israel. Says the Midrash, the Sifri, it is not written to give to you, the Jewish people who are present in the desert, rather to give to them, whence we see proof of the resurrection in the Torah. In the actual Torah, in the five books of Moses, we see here's one, one, just one place, the Talmud gives many, many places where it's alluded to, that God says he swore to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them the land of Israel, not just to their descendants, to give them, because in the times of Mashiach, they will be resurrected. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Imagine that, meeting these great people, 
seeing them and they will live in the land of Israel. God swore to give to them the land of Israel. Maybe not immediately, first their descendants, but it will come a time, there will come a time in the times of Mashiach, in the times of the resurrection of the dead, when they will be resurrected, they will come back. Their souls will come back into their bodies and they will live in the land of Israel which God gave them. So there are many such instances in the Torah where the Talmud explains, the Torah alludes to it, but it is explicit in the books of the prophets, which is just as good of a source. And moving on to source number five, which is a story which actually happened. You know, it's, it's hard to, uh, to imagine. You know, we, it's, it's normal to see babies being born and people that were not alive become alive. You know, new, new people joining our, our world here. But it's hard to imagine someone who passed, who died, to be resurrected from the dead. Actually, the Talmud has, a, has, a, has an expression like, Though if those that never lived can live, those who live surely can live again, right? So if God can make somebody new, somebody be created and, and be born who never lived, for sure if somebody already lived once, they can just be, you know, living again. It's not, uh, it's not too hard for God to do that. But nonetheless, it's something which we don't see often, although the, in the stories of the Torah it does record uh, a couple of times where resurrections did take place, even prior to the coming of Mashiach, to the general mass resurrection. There, one story is with Elijah the prophet, famous prophet uh, who lived during the first temple era, as well as his student and successor, Elisha, who resurrected a young boy who died. But on a, on a, on a greater scale, there's a story, it's actually a, one of the Haftorahs, the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived during the... Uh, also during the first exile, after the destruction of the first temple. And he writes, it's one of the books of the prophets, Ezekiel, Yechezkel. And he writes of a, of a, of a um, prophecy that took place with him. And let's take a look at source number five. He says how the angel came to him and led him to a valley. Source number, source number five, the valley was full of bones and they were very dry. The prophet takes Ezekiel, excuse me, the angel takes Ezekiel, the prophet, to a valley and he puts him in the valley and the valley is full of bones, human bones. And the bones, of course, of people that once lived, but they were very dry. There was no moisture to them. And all of a sudden, there was a sound of rattling and the bones came together the breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. This is just a little bit uh, quotes here and there from the story. It's a lengthy story how God and the angel instructs Ezekiel to prophesy, to, to command these bones to come together. Their bodies should, should uh, the, the, the bones, the skeletons should come together. They should grow um, sinews and flesh and and uh, and skin and that's what happened when he said he said hear the word of god god said you shall become alive and their bodies were reconstituted they came together and the soul the breath came into them and they all stood up a resurrection not just one boy but it says there it was a multitude of people and the Talmud debates and, and different opinions who exactly these people were who, who he resur resurrected they were jewish people and uh, that's not important for our discussion right now, but it did happen on a big scale. And the question is, why did it happen? Why did God re tell Ezekiel to resurrect this, uh, this group of, of people? And the Midrash tells us, because God was sending the Jewish people a message. The Jewish people were, were very, um, 
felt very forsaken at the time. They were living in Israel for so many years, and here the temple was destroyed. They were in exile for so many years, and they said, you know, our hope is lost. Avda tikvasenu. Our hope is lost. You know, we're, they're, they're dying there. They're, di- they're being buried in Bavel and Babylonia, and they're sort of cut off from the Jewish people and or from the rest of the Jewish people that are, you know, some of them were still living in Israel and, and just hope is lost. You know, what's, what's going to be with us? And God tells Ezekiel, as we see in source number six, the Israelites were weeping. We hoped for light and darkness came. In that hour, God said, I will cause you to stand at the resurrection of the dead in the future that is to come. Don't worry. There's going to come a time, even though you're here, in Bavel, and you're being buried here, you're, you're, not, you're not excluded. All Jewish people, wherever they are, will come a time, they will be resurrected and join all the rest of the Jewish people in the times of Mashiach back in the land of Israel. So God demonstrated this by the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel resurrected this whole group of people, and Talmud goes on, what happened to them? Either they died, they went, they died right away, God was just trying to prove it, or they actually went on, they moved to Israel and married and had children, different opinions in the Talmud. But either way, the point was to demonstrate to the Jewish people how this will happen to everybody. This was chosen a group of people in this valley, but it was done to demonstrate this can happen, God can resurrect the dead and will resurrect the dead, all of them, in the times of Mashiach. So we're never doomed. You know, there will come a time that even after living our, uh, living their, living our life uh, in phase one, will come phase two when, our, when the souls will come back to their bodies, their bodies will be rebuilt, and, and they will live once again uh, in the land of Israel. Just maybe one moment. Okay, so that sort of uh, concludes our first section of the of our source sheet, the belief. So we understand what where the, the source comes from for the belief in the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> it's one of the principles of faith. We say it in our prayers. It's clearly in the books of the prophets and it's alluded to in the actual Torah. And God actually demonstrated it on a mass scale, not as great as it will be when Mashiach comes, but there were a group of people that was done to demonstrate to the Jewish people that there is something exciting going to happen, the resurrection in the future. Okay, so we will, you will once again uh, see your son or daughter. You will once again see your parents or grandparents. You will get to meet Abraham. You will get to meet Isaac and Jacob. And you will get to meet any uh, great Jewish personality you always wanted to meet. Okay, now let's talk about the plan. How is this actually going to happen? So, of course, we don't know exactly. Not all the details are, are, uh, were, were reported. But there's much to find out. Hi, Lenny. But some details were told to us, and they're recorded in the Talmud. Again, there is different. Uh, there is debate uh, about some of the details. Well, let's touch upon um, how it's going to happen, who it's going to happen to, and when it's going to happen. So, source number seven. When the first man was created, his name was 
Adam. Adam was created from the dust of the earth. God formed his body. In the book of Genesis, in the beginning, the Torah describes how he was created. God also created other living beings. God created animals. Actually, on the same day, on Friday, the sixth day of creation, animals were created, and then the humans were created. But the wording, how Torah writes how the animal body was created and how the human body was created is a slight, there's a slight difference in the spelling. So the word for creation, different words for creation, the word used is Yitzira. Yitzira means creation. Excuse me. Now Yitzira in Hebrew can be spelled with one yud or and he created Vayitzer can be spelled with one yud meaning one creation, God created, or it can be spelled with a double yud, two yuds. Vayitzer, it sounds the same, but it's spelled with an additional yud, which sort of alludes to a double formation, a double creation. And what's interesting, as we see in source number seven, Torah says, God formed man from the dust of the earth. So the word is God formed, he created, he formed Vayitzer. Says the Midrash, there is a double yud, there's two yuds, which alludes to two formations. One formation is in this world, and one is for the world to come. But in the case of cattle, wild beasts, and birds, for them, only one formation is written without a double yud. So it's something that we can only appreciate if we look inside the actual Torah book in Hebrew or in the Torah scroll. And we'll see that when it says that God formed man, it says a double yud, referring to a double formation. What's this double formation? He created him sort of with the ability to be created twice. He created him once now. Adam lived for 930 years. He filled him up with gas, uh, you know, enough energy and enough for it to go for 930 years until he will expire and the soul will leave the body. The body could has enough to go for 930 years. But he also, from the beginning, left, um, planned that this body should have the ability, have the, have, the, have the ability and the tool to be reconstituted, to be recreated, rebuilt. This same body should be rebuilt in a future time. When? A few thousand years later, when Mashiach will come very soon, and the body of Adam will be resurrected, rebuilt, and his soul will come down once again. That's why it says, Vayitzer, two yuds. It's not like a new thing. God creates a new body, and Adam will come. Actually, the same body of Adam will come back, and his soul will ascend into that body. Uh, whereas the animals, animal souls were, will not be resurrected, unfortunately. We'll have animals, plenty of animals, and actually they'll be very peaceful. The lamb will live with the wolf, as the prophet describes this era, but if you had a dog that died, I don't think um, that the actual body of the dog and the soul will come back. I'll have to get a new pet. And that is why when the Torah describes the formation of animals, it says, Vayitzer with one Yud, because it was only created once. Now what, is, what does this mean that God created it with the ability to be reconstituted? It tells us the Midrash... Source number eight. There was a man named Hadrian. Hadrian was a Roman emperor who ruled the land of Israel during the second century. Last 
uh, I mean, two weeks ago we spoke about uh, Herod, who was a Roman emperor, uh, who was a maniac. But some of the Roman emperors, at least at certain times, were more friendly towards the Jews. And this is the story of Hadrian, for, who at a certain time was friendly with Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania. And he once posed this question, he presented this question to Rabbi Yeshua, saying, you know, your books are filled with prophecies of the resurrection of the dead, but how is it going to be? I mean, you want to tell me people, will be, new people will be born, but how will a body that already was put into the ground and largely disintegrated and decomposed, how will that come back and the soul will be once again living in this body? So you know what Rabbi Yeshua answered him? He answered him, the body will be rebuilt, source H, from the loose bone located in the vertebral column. Bring me a loose and I will show you. So the loose is a Hebrew word. Um, it is a small bone somewhere in the spine, with the upper part of the spine and the lower part. Somewhere there, there is a bone. I'm not sure if the scientists... Um, can tell you exactly what its name is and have identified what it is. But there is a loose bone. It's located there. And I will show you that this loose bone, look what I'll show you. He ground it in a mortar, but it was not crushed. Tried to grind it, this bone did not crush. He burnt it in fire, but it was not burnt. He put it in water, but it did not dissolve. He placed it on a board and beat it with a hammer. The board split and the hammer was pierced and the loose remained whole. This loose bone is indestructible. When God created Adam, the first human, he put in him, he form, um, formed him with this loose bone with the intent that Yes, the body after 930 years of Adam's life for each and every one of us, or not us because Mashiach is coming, but those that lived the past thousands of years, they live their life and the body goes to the ground and decomposes and sometimes over many years to a point that all that is left is just this loose bone, just this small bone. But from this bone, this bone is indestructible and never decomposes and never gets uh, decomposed. And from this bone, when Mashiach comes, the entire body will be rebuilt. All the DNA is in there. It's all the same. All you need is one thing. And the same body will, that body will be rebuilt from that loose bone. And the, the soul will reascend into that body. Because that is how it's actually going to happen. Um, there are some other opinions, but this is uh, the one that's widely quoted. Now, who will it happen to? Now, there was once this really stingy guy. He was a miser. He never gave a penny to charity. He was very selfish. And he wanted to make sure that he has a nice, respectable uh, plot to be buried in when his time comes. So he goes to the, the burial society or the cemetery and he chooses, you know, a nice plot uh, with uh, beautiful trees around. And he's, he asks for the price and they tell him an exorbitant amount, you know, $20,000, way more than, than uh, anybody would, would, would pay. And the usual price was. And he says, hey, you know, why, why, why are you doing that to me? Why are, you, why are you charging me so much? And they say, well, for you, that's the price. And he says, well, well, am I different than anybody else? And, he, and they tell him, you know, everybody else, they're such um, 
you know, they're, they're good people, charitable people. And sooner or later, Mashiach is going to come. The dead will be resurrected and they won't need their graves anymore. So they're sort of just renting space for, uh, it's just temporary. You know, it's not a, this is not a real uh, permanent sale. But you, you're such a, a terrible person that you're not going to be resurrected. And if so, you're going to have this plot forever. So this is, you got to pay the full price. This is a real permanent sale. That's a story that's told, but if we look in the sources, that's actually not true. All of Israel, everybody has a portion in the world to come. In the words of the Mishnah, the world to come uh, refer to the world that is to come when Mashiach comes. It'll be a peaceful world, a world of prosperity, a world of, of um, spiritual uh, and divine knowledge. The world to come. The Mishnah tells us, source number nine, all of Israel have a share in the world to come. All of us will be resurrected. Even a minor. What do I mean by a minor? The Talmud asks, a minor who dies, a young child who dies, from what stage does he come into the world to come? How long does he have to live in order to merit that his body and soul will be, his body will be resurrected and his soul will come down once again during that era. Tells the Talmud from the moment that the child is conceived. Even if the child never was born alive, even if the mother miscarried and the child never, the body was never fully even formed. Nonetheless, from the time that the child was conceived already. He has a portion in the world to come. Already he will merit the resurrection. As soon as that starts. As soon, right from the beginning. The child was never born even. The child was never fully formed. The soul, the, the, the soul came down to the body. The body started being formed right at that moment. There was some level of the soul that was here. Even if the never really lived. Was never born properly. Fully, when the Mashiach will come, that body will be resurrected somehow and the soul will come down once again and be with us during that time. So if that ever happened to you or someone that you know, you know actually in a Jewish term, miscarried is not really the proper uh, term because miscarried sounds like it was a failure. It was miscarried. And from a Jewish perspective, nothing is uh, goes... Uh, nothing is insignificant. Nothing is for no reason. When a mother carries a child, even for a short term, even for a short, short time, there is purpose in that. And here, she's benefiting this child, a portion in the world to come. When the dead will be resurrected, the mother, the father will meet their unborn child. The child that never made it. But that soul is connected to that body part of that body, and will come back when Mashiach comes. Source number 10. Let's move on. Now we know how and who. When is this going to happen? Let's go a little faster because the clock is ticking. The rebuilding of the Holy Temple will precede the ingathering of the exiles to the land of Israel. And the ingathering of the, uh, will precede the resurrection of the dead, which will be the last of them all. It was taught that the ingathering of exiles precedes the resurrection by 40 years. So there's a couple of things that will happen when Mashiach comes. First of all, we'll have a king, we'll have Mashiach, a human being who will build a second temple, um, a descendant of King David, and will 
there'll be the in gathering of all the exiles, all Jewish people will be brought back to the land of Israel. And then comes the final point, which is about 40 years later, after the this era starts when the dead will all be resurrected. Although, source 11, it is pointed out that some great people will be resurrected earlier, like Moshe and Aaron, source 11, will be present already in the early, in the very early period when the Holy Temple will be reestablished in order to guide the order and procedures of the Temple service. A number of other saints, too, will be revived at various stages prior to the general resurrection of the dead. Okay, so not, it's not going to happen immediately. And it says there in the Midrash how Moses and Aaron will have such joy seeing all of the Jewish people throughout the generation. That's going to be a whole lot of people. And actually the Midrash discusses how is the world going to be big enough or in Israel going to be big enough to handle, to fit all of these people. Imagine all the Jewish people that ever lived from the times of, uh, of, of uh, Mount Sinai till now. That's a whole lot of people. And all of those, and even miscarried, even babies that died young, all of them will come, men, women, children. And God says, uh, you know, I'll broaden the, broaden the place for them, the earth for them. God will take care. If he can resurrect the dead, he can also make place for them. And there's so much talk in the Talmud, how the people will, will come. Will they be wearing clothes? Will they be wearing the shrouds? Will they be wearing their regular clothes? Will they be sick if they died uh, old and sick? What would they look like? And there's lots of discussion about that. We'll just talk about one interesting thing to conclude this section. Source number uh, 13. What about a woman who was divorced? So who will she go back to? Source number 13. A divorcee who remarries during her lifetime will remain married to her second husband upon resurrection. That makes sort of sense, right? Because she uh, chose to be married to a second person and then they died. When they get re resurrected, she'll go back to her second husband. But there is a difference of opinion as to the status of a widow who remarries. Now we know that a woman cannot be married to two men. So if a woman was married to one husband and then that husband passed and she remarried to another husband, when Mashiach comes and everybody comes back to life, so who will she be with? With her first husband or her second husband? She can't be with both. And that is a debate. First husband, that's maybe who she started off with, but the second husband, that's who she died with. Actually interesting that nowadays we have this question, uh, who should she be buried next to? Should she be buried next to her first husband or her second husband? Some say it depends with which husband she had children with. Uh, some, what if she had children with, bo children with both uh, husbands? So this is a discussion that, you know, different customs, I believe, uh, till nowadays. But these are just to show you some of the discussion that there is in Jewish teachings about this era of the resurrection of the dead. Okay, hi Judy, welcome. We are moving on to the third section, turn the page, um, the why, the reason. So now we know, we know that it is essential to Jewish belief, it's an important uh, principle of Jewish faith to believe in the resurrection of the dead in the times to come. We know a little bit how it's going to happen, who it's going to happen to, and when it's going to happen. And of course, we look forward to this day. The question is, why is it important? Is, is it just that we can meet our loved ones or people that we want to meet? Well, we can meet their souls up in heaven. What is the reason why, why it is important for the soul to come back down to this world? You know, the soul is having a good time up there in heaven. It's basking in God's presence. It's, it's benefiting from the from the glory of God. And you know, they're not bored up there. They're having a great time. Why would the soul want to come back down to this world once again? So let's look at a basic reason and a deeper reason. We'll just touch upon it because it is a deep and broad 
uh, topic in Kabbalah and Hasidic teachings. There were two tailors. One, one tailor tells his friend, I can't wait for the time of the resurrection. When Mashiach will come, all of the dead will come back to life. That's a whole lot of people. We're going to be in business. Business is going to be booming. We're going to be making clothes for everybody. So the other tailor tells him back, yeah, but you know how many tailors are going to come back to life? All the tailors who ever lived will also come back to life. So the other guy thinks for a moment. He says, yeah, but we, we know the latest styles. So we'll be able to service everybody the best. They're all going to be coming to us. This just shows that Jewish life, Jewish, um, Jewish life is uh, full of belief and looking forward to that time of the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so questions and comments we'll, we'll deal with as soon as we're done because I see the clock is ticking. So let's take a look at the... Talmud. The Talmud gives a parable to explain this on a basic level. What is the reason for the soul coming back to the body? Brings a, a parable of a, two men. One who was lame, could not walk, and one who was blind and could not see. And they were, were together and they saw a beautiful orchard with delicious fruits and they wanted to go steal some of those fruits. But how could they get there? The blind man can't really see it. And the, uh, the lame man can't really get there. So what did he do? So 13, the lame man climbed up on the, soldiers, on the shoulders of the blind man and directed him to the orchard. He had some team effort and got onto his shoulders and directed the blind man where to go. And they were enjoying some fruit. And as they were slipping away, when the owner caught them separately on their way out, each protested that he could not have stolen alone. The blind man said, how can I be the one to steal? I don't know where, I don't even know where to go. Excuse me. And the lame man said, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry. Excuse me. Uh, the lame man said, how can I get there? So the, the resourceful owner thereupon sat the lame man on the shoulders of the blind man and administered their punishment together. Same thing is with the body and soul. Source 14. The body and soul are collectively responsible for the person's good deeds and accomplishments while on earth. Neither could have done it alone. Therefore, the body is revived so that it too can receive its reward for all the good it helped accomplish. So they did a mitzvah. They lit Shabbos candles. Yes, the soul encouraged the body to do it, but the soul can light a candle by itself. Souls don't do mitzvahs. Bodies do mitzvahs. Bodies do good deeds. You gave someone a lift. The soul didn't do that. Can't do that alone. Yes, it revives the body and it encourages the body to do God's will. It gives body life to get where it wants to go and do good things. But the actual body is what wraps the fill in and lights candles and gives charity and does good things and studies Torah, the actual brain. Yes, but you need a, a dead body can't think. You need the, you need the soul. They did it together. So yes, up in heaven, the soul is up there benefiting and reaping the, the, the rewards for all the good deeds. But the body also deserves some compensation. And that is going to happen in the world to come in the time of the resurrection, when the body will be revived, resurrected, and together the soul and body as one unit will receive their reward, living in a most 
amazing time with a time of prosperity, abundance, and the soul and body together can benefit from this great era. Taking this a little bit deeper, and we'll just touch upon it, the Alter Rebbe Mishneir Zalman in the book of Tanya tells us, think about it for a moment, you know, not, everything is a ladder going up. In spiritual, think of, think of all these souls. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We mentioned before, they will be resurrected. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in paradise for thousands of years. And every year, every whatever, however often, they're going higher and higher and higher in their level that they are uh, comprehending of God's wisdom, whatever they're doing up there. And if they're going higher and higher and higher, they're not going to take a deep dive down to this world for something lower. Obviously, the revelations, the time of the era of the resurrection of the dead is so great, even greater than paradise, even greater than all the great souls are experiencing in, in Gan Eden, in the world of souls. Otherwise, it would be a descent for them. Why would they want to come back down? Just to give some pleasure to their body? Obviously, their souls are also part of this. And if after so many years in the world of souls, having spiritual reward, obviously what's going to happen when the body gets rebuilt and the body gets resurrected will be even greater than that. Let's take a look at source number 15. For in the future, all the souls of the tzaddikim, all the holy righteous men, and of the tanaim, the great sages, and the prophets that are now in the upper garden of Eden, at the peak of levels, will become vested in their bodies, and they will arise at the time of the resurrection to derive pleasure from the splendor of the Shekhinah. Obviously, if that's what's going to happen, the splendor of the Shekhinah that they're going to experience at the time of the resurrection, along with all of us, is so great, way beyond anything that the souls are experiencing now in paradise. And in the way he writes it in another chapter in Tanya, is source number 16, the, Messi- the Messianic era, and especially the time of the resurrection of the dead, is the fulfillment and culmination of the creation of the world, for which purpose it was originally created. That's very powerful. Usually we tend to think that spiritual things, being spiritual, that is the ultimate. But actually, if God wanted things spiritual, He didn't have to create this physical world. He could have created just angels and souls up there and they can do whatever they want. But the point of creation was to create a physical world, the world we live in, where God is sort of hidden. And when we we do a mitzvah, when we overcome the challenge, we bring light into the darkness, we connect to the essence of God, not just His light, not just the rays of God, not just His emanations, but God Himself. We are doing God's will. We are connecting to God and we are bringing down God Himself, sort of the essence of God, to this world. And we elevate this physical world. We infuse the wood, the cow, and anything we use for a good purpose, for a divine purpose, we are imbuing it with godliness, with such a level Maybe it's a little hidden, maybe it's very hidden now. But when Mashiach comes, there is enough goodness and godliness brought into this world, infused into this world, to the accumulative uh, mitzvahs of all the generations, that it just bursts open. And when Mashiach will come, God will be shining and we'll see how everything just is in sync with its divine purpose. We'll feel God in a very real way. Everything will just be so perfect. And the body won't be a, um, 
an obstacle, a blockage, blocking our spiritual path. It will be, everything will just be clear. Everything will just be uh, amazing. And we'll have even the greater, a greater revelation than all of the souls are experiencing up in heaven. So sort of body and soul live their life here. Soul goes to, this, to the world of souls, does have some, some benefit and some revelation, but not as great as when it will be and will experience when the soul will come back into the body with the time of the resurrection and that would just be the most amazing. That's the goal of creation. That's why Maimonides includes it in the principles of faith. Not just that God could resurrect the dead, but that is the goal that we're all aiming for. Everything is about coming to a perfect world, a world where in this physical place, in this physical world, it will be so good that darkness will be turned into light. And that was the purpose of creation. That will be in that era. And specifically in the time of the resurrection of the dead. Just give me a moment here and it's going to connect. Battery is running low. Okay. And now moving on, see, we're going to go over a few more minutes. Moving on to, uh, to the next section, which perhaps is the most important, how uh, this can be applied. What kind of practical applications does this concept have? Okay. <clears throat> I know it's a little different kind of topic because it's like something that... Uh, have not yet experienced, but let's move along and see how this um, affects Jewish life. This woman was traveling to Israel and she wants to take her dog to Israel. She's on the plane, she puts her dog uh, under, she comes to uh, Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv and she's waiting, she doesn't see her dog. She starts asking around, and finally they find her dog, and they open the, 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 the people on the back over there, the personnel, personnel, whatever it's called, and they see the dog is dead, and they're, they don't know what to do. The dog is dead. So quickly, they go to a pet shop, to a, uh, you know, a pet shop, and they find an identical dog, same color, same kind, same breed, and they bring her the dog, and she looks at the dog, and she says, this is not my dog. And they say, ma'am, what do you mean? This is your dog. It's exactly the dog that you, that you brought. And she says, the dog that I brought was dead. I was bringing the dog to be buried in Israel. Many Jews prefer that their remains be brought, their bodies be brought to the land of Israel to be buried in Israel. Even if they didn't live in Israel. Although, I remember when I was studying in Jerusalem, there were funerals happening so often. But it wasn't just from people living in Jerusalem. People from all over would uh, have, still have their bodies uh, flown to Israel that they can be buried in the Holy Land. One of the reasons, of course, the land is holy and the soil is holy, but one of the reasons have to do, has to do with the resurrection of the dead. Find a story in the Torah, source number 17. Jacob, Yaakov, the last 17 years of his life, is living in Egypt. He's reunited with his son Joseph, who takes care of him, supports him in the last years of his life after being separated from him for 22 years. And Jacob feels his time, his end is near. 
and he makes his son Yosef promise him, swear to him, that he will bring his body up to Israel and bury him in Israel. As we see in source number 17, Yaakov summoned his son Yosef and said to him, Please do not bury me in Egypt. Why? Why was Jacob so afraid of being buried in Egypt? The various reasons are brought, but one of them is based on the following. Source 18. Talmud says, All the dead will be resurrected in the land of Israel. Where will the resurrection take place? In Israel. And it does not mean that you have to be buried in Israel to be resurrected. Those who are buried outside the Holy Land, their bodies will burrow through the earth until they reach Israel. And there, their souls will be reinstated into their bodies. For Tzadikim, special tunnels will form beneath the ground in order to make the journey easier and more dignified. So, it says clearly that where will the resurrection actually take place? In Israel. Those living out of Israel will also be resurrected. But they will have to go through a somewhat painful journey. Somehow finding their way through the earth until wherever they're coming from, somehow across the ocean, if they're here, to get to Israel to be resurrected. Tzaddikim, great people, there will actually be tunnels. But Jacob, although he was a great sage, a great, uh, great tzaddik, he thought maybe he'll have to go through that uh, uncomfortable journey of get, making his body, making his way back to Israel, and he wanted to um, avoid that. And therefore, one of the reasons is why that is one of the reasons why he requested Joseph to have him buried or, uh, originally in the land of Israel. So that's one of the reasons why people. Um, this is showing how this faith, this belief in the resurrection of the dead actually uh, influences Jewish life that many will choose for their bodies to be buried in Israel that when the time of the resurrection arrives, they will be right there without having, going, having to go through that pain. Another custom that some Jewish cemeteries have, plots are arranged, source 19, in a way in such a way that the foot of each grave is directed towards the Holy Land. Depending which, uh, you know, where exactly you're buried, wherever you are on the map, um, they will arrange that the foot of the grave is towards the Holy Land, so that the body of every departed Jew is laid to rest as if ready to arise and go to Israel. In some cemeteries, for the same reason, the custom is that the foot of each grave is directed towards the path leading to the gate through which one leaves. not just practical that, you know, the stone uh, might be facing the other way, but here we see uh, a recorded custom. I'm not sure what the custom is in our cemeteries. I never figured out which direction it is, but definitely some cemeteries have this custom symbolizing um, the belief that these dead will get up on their feet and go towards Israel. They will go onto the path to leave the cemetery, whether physically or you know through the ground, and make their way to Israel. Uh, this is a custom which is based on this belief, which Maimonides tells us, uh, and of course we saw a source in the Torah and the books of the prophets. Another interesting thing is when it comes to cremation. Fortunately, uh, you know, we can probably have another class dedicated to, the, to this, to the, to the importance of proper Jewish burial, but one aspect, there are many aspects uh, and um, issues with cremation, which is of course not the Jewish way, 
Cremation, source 20, is an implied statement of rejecting the resurrection. It is in effect a declaration that once the soul has departed the body, the lifeless body has served its purpose and now has no further value. When in Jewish belief, at any moment Mashiach can come and it will be time for the body to be resurrected. Whatever, whatever stage the body is holding, you know, whatever is left of the body will be re come together, the flesh and skin, everything will come back and the soul will once again ascend, descend into the body. The body is not over with. The body will be used once again. It had its time. It decomposes, uh, depending when Mashiach comes. Hopefully, uh, if they were recently laid to rest, much of their body will still be there. And if not, as we said, the luz is still there. There's something still there left of the body. And that will be reconstituted, rebuilt, the entire body. So cremation is saying, hey, there's no use for this anymore. Let's just throw it to the wind and put it into ashes. There's a system that God um, tells us, put the body in the ground, and at the right time, the body will come back out of the ground and be resurrected. When somebody is uh, sitting shiva, mourning the passing of a loved one, the custom to comfort them is with the, the the text is used. God shall comfort you amongst all mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Touched upon this uh, a different class and many aspects to it. Why would we include mourning Zion and Jerusalem when somebody lost their loved one? One one comparison. We're trying to compare the personal loss that this family is experiencing excuse me, to the loss that we feel, all of us collectively feel, for the destruction of the Temple of Zion in Jerusalem. To compare these two cases. Source 21. We have perfect confidence that God will rebuild the ruins of Zion in Jerusalem. Maybe that's a little bit more well known. Mashiach is coming. The third temple will be rebuilt. Just as we have perfect confidence that God will rebuild the ruins. We sing, Ani Mamin, Ani Mamin, right? We believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. So too, we are equally confident with regard to our personal bereavement. God will fulfill His promise that those that dwell in the dust shall awake and joyfully sing. Great indeed will be the happiness of rejoicing then. Just as we are confident that there will be a time of rejoicing when the temple will be rebuilt, Zion and Jerusalem will be rebuilt, not just the way it is now, which is great, but in a spiritual way with, with all the temple, the third temple being built and peace and, and uh, all the great revelation that will be at that time, so too we will be reunited. The, our personal, the personal bereavement, the personal loss that took place in the family will end with the resurrection of the dead, when they will be reunited with their loved ones and be able to see them and hug them and, and, and celebrate life together with them, we are confident that that will happen just as we are confident with the coming of Mashiach and the rebuilding of Zion and Jerusalem. Let's conclude with the lessons. Getting back to the story of Ezekiel, the story of the dry bones. We said Ezekiel was led to a valley full of dry bones. They were Jewish bones. They were bones that were 
dried up. There was no moisture, no life. And what did Ezekiel do? God told Ezekiel, tell them, heed, listen to the word of God. You shall be revived. Skin, sinews, flesh should be grown on these bones. They should come together and life should be blown into you. And that's what happens. What does this have to do with us? Of course, we have to do another mitzvah, another mitzvah, so this special era could come. Uh, we should have enough goodness in this world that we should be able to have the resurrection. But it is also a lesson to us until this mass resurrection happens on a physical level. The concept of resurrection can be applied nowadays. Dried up bones, these are Jewish bones. Sometimes we can look around and feel like there are lots of dry Jewish bones. There's lots of assimilation. There's a lack of Jewish education. There's lots of evil around us. There are people that are um, doing things that they shouldn't do. We're in a valley of dry bones. And perhaps we can think our hope is lost, as the Jewish people thought at that point. Tells us the prophet Ezekiel. Let's take a look at source number 23. We can never give up hope. Even that which is dead, that which has been drained of every ounce of moisture in life, can and will come back to life. It has happened before, and it will happen again. We need only to be Ezekiel's. We need to have the courage to approach the dry bones and tell them, hear the word of God. Revive yourselves. Just as Ezekiel told them the word of God that it's time for them to be revived, and that is what happened when we see some dry bones. We see somebody who is lacking in Jewish education. We see someone who's lacking in spiritual in meaning to their life. And we can teach them what we know. We can teach them the letter Aleph. We can teach them something we study, something inspiring, something encouraging, something empowering. We can go over to these dry bones and not be discouraged by seeing a mass, a valley full of dry bones. Or very dry bones. I'm never going to do anything with this person. There's nothing I can do. No way to influence them. All we have to do is have the courage to be like Ezekiel, to go over to a dry bone and say, you can hear the word of God. Tell them something that God said. Tell them a teaching of Torah. Invite them to a to, to synagogue. Invite them to study Torah with you. Invite them to pray. Invite them to connect to their neshamas, to their souls, to connect to God. There is hope. Just as God gave hope to the Jewish people then that there will be a resurrection, we don't have to wait for the physical resurrection. We can help make a spiritual resurrection. When we see dry bones around us, let's help those dry bones get sinews and flesh and skin and a life, a soul. It is up to us. The Torah teaches us a story. We can be Ezekiel. We can be Ezekiel. And if we can be, we must be. It is our responsibility and obligation. And source number 23, more on a personal level, sometimes we find ourselves being 
um, spiritually alive, very vibrant, very interested, very engaged in Torah study and doing mitzvahs and doing good things and connecting to God, doing the right thing. We're very vibrant. We're very alive. And sometimes we feel a spiritual death. We feel uninterested. We feel detached. We feel lazy. We feel very um, disconnected. We feel dead. And what is the lesson of the resurrection? Source number 23. Because our essential self is innately healthy and godly, we have the power to heal ourselves from the lowest of spiritual deaths and orchestrate a resurrection. The resurrection isn't only a story about a better tomorrow, but also about the possibilities of a better today. We can resurrect ourselves because we have that in us. We have the source of life. We have a neshama. That soul never gets extinguished. It is indestructible, just like the loose bone. Just like that bone, the body can be rebuilt from that loose bone, which never get, can get destroyed. Each of us have a neshama. And no matter what a Jew does, no matter how many years it's lying dormant and that soul is not revived, the soul is not vibrant and is not being expressed, we can always tap into the neshama. We can always rekindle it. We can always, it is it's like a pilot light. You know, it's always there. It never goes out. And we have the ability. Yes, sometimes we're, follow, we're feeling disconnected. We're, following deta we're feeling uh, detached. We're not so interested. We can just take a moment to reconnect, to dig deep down to our neshama and resurrect ourselves and reconnect to Hashem in a vibrant way, in a living way, full of life and vitality. Let's sum this up. We looked at this concept of resurrection of the dead, in Hebrew known as Tichiyat Hamesim, the world of resurrection, resurrecting the dead. We looked at the belief, the sources for this belief. We say it in our prayers. It's one of the principles of faith. We have um, sources for it in the books of the prophets and that is alluded to in the Torah. We say it daily in our Shema prayers. God actually demonstrated on a massive scale the resurrection in the valley of, of, of bones of Ezekiel, showing the Jewish people that they all will be resurrected in times of Mashiach. We moved on to how it will happen. The loose bone will be rebuilt from the loose bone. This body, the, the whole body will be rebuilt. All Jewish people will be resurrected. Hi Vicky, hi Shalom. And even young infants, even a baby that was miscarried, the soul will come back and the entire body will be rebuilt and live together with his As well as when it will happen about 40 years after the special messianic era begins, that is when all of us will be resurrected, will be reunited and we looked at some of the different details how it will happen. We moved on to the reason why it will happen. It's important for the body to also receive its benefit as well as this is the goal of all of creation when the body, when this world will experience the great revelation of the, es the, revelation of the essence of God which came about through the culmination of all of our mitzvahs that we did over all these thousands of years that will all be revealed and it's much greater than any spiritual pleasure that the souls can have in the world of souls. The world of resurrection, when Mashiach comes and the resurrection will take place, will be the uh, epitome, the ultimate of all of creation. That is when it's going to happen. 
And we moved on fine to the to the final how this influences Jewish life, being wanting to be buried in Israel, different cemeteries being set up in different ways, ready to get out of the graves and come be resurrected and be re uh, be reunited with all of those that passed on, as well as we are confident this is going to happen. And we take a spiritual lesson how we can bring into our lives spiritual resurrection, looking at dry bones, at others and ourselves, and telling them, listen to the word of God, you can be resurrected. Okay, so I hope that was interesting. It was very fascinating for me to uh, prepare this class and put it together. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And if I can say, if you enjoy these, uh, these lessons, the Lunch and Learns, Please consider um, contributing on our website, ChabadSeagate.com. You can choose to uh, give it towards adult education. Um, now, if you have questions, I'll be happy to discuss them. I'm just scroll back. I think somebody mentioned something. So, uh, Gary, you mentioned um, only recent one wife. That's true. Rabbeinu Gershom. So, uh, polygamy... What is technically permitted according to the strict Torah law, according to biblical law, it is per, it, a man is allowed to be married to more than one woman, but a one woman cannot be married to more than one man. Till recently, uh, in certain parts of the world, by Sephardic Jews, it was um, practiced, not, I don't believe, very common, but there were those that had more than one wife. Uh, at the beginning of the establishment of the modern state of Israel, uh, they had some problems because there were waves of, of uh, groups coming up uh, and coming up to, to live in Israel. And some of them from, from Yemen, some of these countries, uh, Muslim countries came up with more than one wife and they had to uh, you know, make the law. What's, so I think the law was that those that were already married can stay married to their wives, but they shouldn't be marrying new uh, you know, more than one wife in Israel. But that was in the Sephardic communities. Again, I don't think it was common. It was something that was permitted technically, but it wasn't a very common thing throughout Jewish history. But a great Ashkenazic rabbi, Rabbi Gershom, Rabbeinu Gershom, who's known as Rabbeinu Gershom or Hagola, the, excuse me, the, the light of the exile. He lived in the, 10th century or so, he was, uh, I think, the teacher of Rashi or the teacher of Rashi's teacher. We, met, we learned about Rashi once before. Uh, he lived in, uh, I think, Germany. And Rabbi Ger- Benu Gershom, he was sort of the, the, the leader of all of Ashkenazic Jewry in uh, France and Germany and, you know, that area. And he made a couple of bands, uh, three famous ones. And one of them is that a, a man is forbidden to marry more than one woman and uh, without getting into all the reasons it just wasn't a practical thing it can lead to uh, to problems although he did give uh, certain leeway but we can discuss that another time so yes yeah, so when Mashiach comes the question not is not so much about one man being married to two wives because I'm not sure what will happen when Mashiach comes but the question was about one woman being married she was married during her lifetime to one husband and then he passed and he, she got remarried, which is totally fine and, and encouraged. She should get remarried. The question is, who would she go back to now that she can't be... She, she definitely cannot be with both husbands. 
Um, Barbara, for 40 years before resurrections, do we wait a full 40 years? Okay, so that's a good question. There are different um, opinions, if I can say. Again, a lot of these things, it is not clear. Some, some of the things are debated. Um, different opinions in the Talmud. So the quote that I brought here was from the Zohar, that, that will be 40 years later. Although it does say that some will come before, and I, I can check that, check that up again. There are different opinions, and like we always say, we like to choose the opinion that's best for us. So hopefully it will be even before the 40 years, uh, and I'm sure I can, if I can, I'm confident that uh, the, the, it says that special people will arise before 40 years, as we saw, Moshe, Aaron, and other special people, uh, you know, as we mentioned, all of Israel, even somebody who was, you know, a sinner, if you can say, that stingy man who was a miser, who wanted to buy a plot in the cemetery, he's also going to be resurrected, right? So all of his, everybody's going to be resurrected, but definitely those that their life was lived um, purely, and their life was full of good deeds, uh, those people will, I'm confident, will be resurrected earlier, and we, we won't have to wait 40 years. So I can't wait to see to see um, Lisa and Avi and all all of the, those that that passed. I'm sure we're going to see them way before the 40 years comes, and Mashiach is going to come right right now. We'll be able to see them speedily, and you know it's something to think about. Sometimes we, we focus a lot on, on the current, but the Mashiach is really like the purpose of all of creation. Even after you know, we say the soul goes to paradise, as we said, there's always, that, that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is the times of Mashiach. Mashiach is not just going to come to stop our problems, but Mashiach is just, the, as we said, the ultimate of all of creation, where everything will, all evil will be eradicated and everything will just be perfect and on all levels. That is what we're striving for. And that is what, is, what, is we're, what we're looking forward to. And it's important to study about this era. There's so much, there's so much in Torah teachings about this topic, about Mashiach, about the era, you know, uh, about this is the, the resurrection of the dead is just one section, one, one topic within this whole idea of the times of Mashiach. There's a whole other topic. Who will Mashiach be? And what exactly will he do? And how the temple will, will be rebuilt? And what will life be? You know, what, will things change? Like we mentioned once that pig will be permitted. You know, that's just one example. There's so many different examples. Even even in, within the resurrection of the dead, you know, so let's say a husband and wife go, both get resurrected. I mean, do they have to get remarried? Because they, once they die, you know, once the husband dies, right? So let's say she doesn't get remarried to another uh, husband, but she, you know, you're not, it, it, are they still considered married after they both die or do they have to get remarried? Do they, does she have to, does he have to give her a new ring and, you know, have a chopa? These are some questions that are actually discussed in the Talmud and in uh, Jewish teachings. And when we discuss these things and we study about it, it actually makes the concept more alive by us and it makes us look forward to it and anticipate. And actually, Maimonides says that part of Jewish uh, prayers is that not, ju- that we not just we know about Mashiach, but we actually pray for Mashiach. We, we should anticipate the times of Mashiach. They say about the, one of the uh, uh, great Jewish uh, sage of the previous generation, known as the Chafetz Chaim, um, he was from Radin, and city of Radin, and, and he would have a suitcase under his bed with with uh, special like Shabbos clothes, special you know clothing that he's going to wear 
when he is going to greet Mashiach. He was always ready. He should have, wherever he's going, he has this, or at least he left it in his house. He always had this special suitcase. You know, he shouldn't run out. He shouldn't have to make a wash or send it to the dry cleaner. He should be ready. Whatever he would need for Mashiach. You know, if he had to just get, be ready immediately. Because Mashiach, that was a way of Mashiach being so part of their life that it actually influenced, uh, you know, how they behaved. Uh, thank you, Gary, for bringing that up. I wanted to clarify, you know, coming, uh, you know, 70 years, 75 years uh, since the Holocaust, when many Jewish people were cremated. They were killed and, uh, you know, killed or murdered. Um, and my great uncles and aunts and great grandparents and many relatives were, were among them. Their bodies were cremated, and God forbid to say that uh, that this applies to those people, because obviously we're talking about somebody who um, willingly lets their bodies or instructs their bodies to be cremated. Now, of course, many times it's out of ignorance; they're they're not aware, uh, they're not properly educated. And that's why it's part of our duty to educate. You know, we see dry bones, we see somebody who, in a certain area, is lacking in knowledge. We should try, obviously. Um, kind with, with with gently, you know. Especially at that time, we shouldn't wait till a person passes. We should try to preempt this and and prevent a person from instructing their bodies to be cremated. And there's a whole we can have a whole lesson on this. I think we touched upon it at different times, but um, I would say usually it's just lack of knowledge. The what the Jewish view and how important it is for the body to be fully placed into the ground. Um, so obviously that what we said does not apply to those people. We're talking about somebody who knows, uh, who knows what's going on, he knows what this is about, and deliberately, nonetheless, instructs their body to be cremated, so they are implying that do not, they, they do not believe uh, in this resurrection, which, which is uh, obviously a problem. Um, I'm not saying that they won't be re- uh, resurrected. You know, that's, that's, that's maybe... All of Israel will be resurrected, you know. Maybe it does say, I can't get into all the details, uh, in one way or another. Maybe they'll get a new body or so, but there's lots of talk, lots of talk. Uh, again, not everything is so clear. Uh, the same thing with suicide. Again, it's a topic for itself, but um, generally the approach is that um, it is done out of. Um, a very dire situation, a very sad situation, and we sort of don't judge the person. But of course, we should try to prevent it as much as we can uh, from happening. Suicide, we're talking about suicide here. So after the fact, we always sort of um, give him the benefit of the doubt that he may, may have regretted what he did after he took the pill or whatever he did. And... It was just done out of, um, you know, depression or, or whatever it is, and we judge them. Uh, we judge them mercifully with kindness and mercy. Okay. So, any more questions, uh, Barbara? It was so nice to have you on here, and as well as everybody else. Uh, great to study Torah together. A little bit of a different kind of topic, but uh, nonetheless. Interesting, and every part of Torah is Torah.
Let's, let's resurrect ourselves. Let's have a spiritual resurrection. Let our neshamas shine vibrantly and hopefully that will bring in the era when the bodies of all those that died till now will be resurrected, will be reunited with them with the coming of Mashiach hopefully very, very soon. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Tomorrow night on Zoom, Rebetzin has uh, the Women's Circle at 7.30. Thursday at 7.30, episode 10 of Around Our Community. Hope you enjoyed, and see you back next week for Lunch and Learn number 97, Tuesday at 12.15.